Thank you, Patty. Never heard that song, but certainly resonate with that. Seated where I don't belong. That's my testimony right there. Everything I have, even where I stand today, I don't deserve any of this. It's what God has brought to me through His grace and mercy. And if you're a believer, that's your testimony as well. We're, we're here where we don't belong in the presence of God. And we're only here because of what Christ has done. Speaking of a giving God, I received from the giving Lord last week for Pastor's Appreciation Day. And I'm very, very grateful and want to thank all of you for the gifts, the words of encouragement, uh, very kind and undeserved words. And my family and I are very blessed by your generosity uh, and your, um, your gratitude to God for what we have here in this fellowship. So thank you so much for all the gifts we will enjoy we got some gift cards that we will be enjoying for the rest of the year. A gift that keeps on giving. Also, before we get into our text this morning, just a reminder that we're going to have our Thanksgiving share service on the 24th. Psalm 44, 8 says, In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. And our share service is just an opportunity for the body of Christ to come and share um, edify your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ by sharing what God is doing in your life in some form or fashion in the form of gratitude. And if you're thinking, surely he doesn't need me to speak, the docket is probably already full with so many people wanting to thank God, uh, that's not the case. There's lots of room for you to come and share. So pray about what God would have you share on that service and please let me know. Um, also, after the sermon, just want to give you a heads up. Uh, Floyd and Millie will come and lead us, kind of give a little testimony about the persecuted church and then lead us in a time we'll open it up for you to pray for the persecuted church. November is a month where the church recognizes that there are believers exercising their faith at, at great risk to their well-being. And so we want to bring that to our attention as well. The Gospel of Matthew. Last time we were in chapter 27. And it was in that chapter where we read about Christ being crucified on the cross. And after He was crucified, in order to keep the Sabbath holy, his body needed to be taken off that cross and properly buried or dealt with. So in chapter 27, we read where his secret disciples, he had those that were following him in the, in the open, and he had secret disciples that were not so open about their faith. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And they came and they took his body down and they carried him to a very nearby tomb and they prepared him with 70 pounds of spices and they gently and carefully wrapped his body in linens and they laid him in this tomb and that was Joseph's own tomb so Jesus was buried in the tomb of a rich man to fulfill scripture and then by the request of the Jewish leaders Guards were posted at this tomb, and a big stone was rolled in front of the opening. 
And it was sealed. And it was guarded. And so, in essence, when we concluded chapter 27, by all intents and purposes, Jesus and his ministry and his teachings are a thing of the past. Because the Jewish leaders didn't even want any rumors, any chance of any teachings or any idea that Jesus may have been may have risen from the dead or that his ministry continues. And so they posted guards. They didn't want a chance of anything about Jesus to continue to live. And really rightly understood, Jesus was a thing of the past per se, because even his own disciples were not expecting anything beyond this point. And so that's how we close chapter 27. And then we turn the page to chapter 28. And you and I know that this is the resurrection chapter. It's the final chapter in Matthew's gospel. And it talks about when Jesus walked out of the tomb. And Matthew just continues to cover time and events. That's Matthew's, one of his techniques in this. And so because we know what, how the story goes, we know that it's the third day. And we learned last time that Jesus has been in the tomb for three days to fulfill Scripture and that the Jewish way of looking at a day, any part of a day is considered a whole day. He wasn't in there 24 hours, three times three, but he was in there, according to Jewish thought, three days. And we know that Scripture says on the third day, actually Jesus, by his own words, said several times, I will be... Placed in the hands of man, I will suffer, I will die, but on the third day, I will rise again. And so, obviously, as we look into this chapter, we anticipate that Jesus will walk out of that tomb. So let's read chapter 28, and we're going to cover the first ten verses this morning. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene And the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. They were out. But the angel said to the woman, or the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. This is the greatest event in history. 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Unequivocally is the absolute greatest event that has ever happened. And it changed the world. And it continues to change the world. The, the, the rippling effects of the power that took place with the resurrection of Christ. We are still to this very day feeling the effects of the risen King. As the resurrection of Christ confirms everything that He said and everything that He did and everything that He taught as true and as things that will come to pass. And the resurrection is the basis for all faith. The Apostle Paul in the book of Corinthians says that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, everything we know, our entire foundation of faith, it's all in vain. Our worship, our teaching, our loving one another, all of the obedience to Scripture, it's in vain. It's empty. It's meaningless if Christ did not rise from the dead. And so everything... The, the redemptive plan of God hinges on this event. As glamorous as his miracles were and his teachings, and as much as everybody loved him, if he does not walk out of the tomb, it is meaningless. But if he does walk out of the tomb, if he does manage to pull it off in some kind of way, then everything he taught is absolutely true. And it means that he did conquer sin. It means that he did conquer death. It means that he will come back and reclaim his bride, the saints of God, bring us into heaven. And it means that the king will consummate. He will bring to absolute fulfillment, fulfillment everything that he intends to do. All of this hinges on the resurrection. Jesus is coming back. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. Upon a life I did not live, upon a death I did not die, I risk my whole eternity. And the resurrection is why. The whole reason that we're here this morning as an example of how did the resurrection change things? The whole reason that we are here this morning on this particular day is because of the resurrection of Christ. Jesus rose on the first day of the week, on a Sunday, and it changed everything. And we Sabbath, the early church looked and saw where the Old Testament said the Sabbath on a Saturday. They began the Sabbath on a Monday, the first day of the week, because they recognized that the grandness of the new creation found in Christ trumps the creation in the Old Testament. And that the new rest that we have in Christ trumps or fulfills the rest of the Sabbath. And so the, we, we are an example of the new covenant change. Um, I think Charles Spurgeon said that he took, the old, he took the gate off the old rusty hinges and he put it on hinges of gold. And that's the new covenant fulfillment that we are experiencing. Even as I speak, because Christ has risen from the dead. When it comes to describing the resurrection, Matthew takes what I think is a rather unique approach. And you'll know that all the Gospels have a different approach to things that happen. They come at it from a different angle. And there, there are the, what they call the synoptic Gospels. 
that have a lot of the exact same material word for word, and yet they still manage to give it, um, explain things according to their own bent. Of course, it's all under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but different things are brought out by different authors. And Matthew's following time, you know, the Sabbath was important and the third day is important. He's following that. But he follows the women. He, he tracks what the women did. He, he tracks how they encountered the risen Christ. And he, he really tracks or records their emotions and their attitudes. And so I'm going to kind of follow in the steps of John MacArthur, who did something very similar. And that is, we're going to look at this through the emotions and the attitudes, or emotional attitudes, if you will, of the women that encountered the resurrection. Now, they're coming to the tomb. They're coming to the grave. And Matthew tells us that it's early Sunday morning. Probably before it's even light. Now, they remember the Sabbath was uh, live, and in, in the Saturday they couldn't do anything. They couldn't really move around much. They couldn't buy. They couldn't sell. But now the Sabbath has been over for several hours, ending at 6 p.m. And they're up at dark. And they are making their way to the tomb to see Jesus. And the first emotional attitude that we find here is what I'll call uh, respect. They're going to the tomb to see Jesus. They're going to the tomb really to solemnly pay their respects, to continue to minister to him. The verse one, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. There's a lot of Marys to keep up with in the New Testament. These women, where are they going? They're going to the tomb. Why? Because they love Jesus. They love Jesus. They want to be, they want to abide in Jesus. They want to remain in Jesus. They want to be as close to Jesus as they can. They want, to, they want to continue to minister to Him in any way that they can. They're doing the right thing. They're doing the dutiful thing. They have obligations. But in essence, they love Him and they want to continue to respect Him. They've been attending to Jesus and His needs ever since they first set their faith on Christ. Now, people, other disciples come and go, but one thing you find in common in the New Testament is that there's always women present where Jesus is. They're just there. And they're attending His needs. They're, they're loving Him in the way that they love Him. They traveled with Him. They offered their resources to Him. And while the other disciples were scattered and Jesus is hanging on the cross, who is there? The secret disciples, yes. The ladies, the women, the worshipers. They're there at the crucifixion. And even if you look at the other Gospels, Joseph and Nicodemus had helped anointing Jesus and wrapping him by ladies. They're, they're always attending to him, providing for him. They're always there for him. And that's what they're doing this morning. By God's design, uh, women and men worship in a lot of, of the same ways. But we also have unique ways of, of applying our love to God. And this is how they were doing it. They just keep coming to him and keep coming. They want as much of Jesus as they can get. So they're there to anoint him with oil. They have spices. They had to wait for the Sabbath to end so they could purchase what they needed. 
and they come with spices. And you think, well, wait a minute. What happened to the 70 pounds of spices from the other guys that already anointed Jesus? Well, his body is decayed. And, you, you, you know, it, it's, it's a nasty, stinky process. And so it needs more oil. Their, their thinking is, this is the third day. He's been in the, he's been in the grave for three days. Uh, the Jews had a belief that after three days, um, the body was, the spirit doesn't recognize the body anymore. It's too decomposed. It's, it's like not just gone, but officially gone. Beyond any kind of hope or repair. That's why when um, Mary and Martha, when Jesus approached Lazarus' tomb, they, they basically said, Lord, he's thinking in the King James he, he's beyond this. I mean, this is at the point where you, you kind of don't want to be near the body anymore. So they come with more spices to minister to him, to anoint him kind of as just a last way. Maybe this might be the last time. Maybe this is going on in their minds. This is the last time I'll ever get to have anything to do with his body. However, last time I'll get to touch him or even see his body. And so they come out of great, solemn respect. Now, they're not there to anticipate his resurrection. There's no party hats. There's no excitement. There's no joy. This, they're still in a grieving process. And they're there just to cover the decomposition as a form of worship and respect. This may be their very last time to be in contact with him. They don't believe at this point in the resurrection. It never registered. And we have been through the whole book of Matthew now. We know that Jesus said several times that he will rise from the dead. And nobody really got it. Not even those that followed him the closest. Not even those that were getting a lot of other kingdom principles and lights were going off. They did not get this. Not even these women that stayed by his side. They were there because Jesus was dead. Matter of fact, Mark's gospel tells us, you know, it's, it's likely dark out. And this group of women are making their way to the tomb. And what they're talking about is, how are we going to get that big stone out of the way so we can anoint him with these spices. That was the, the problem that they had to solve. They didn't know that there were guards there. They didn't know that when they showed up, the stone will already be moved away. And it's not just Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. If you incorporate the information from the other Gospels, there's also well, the, the Mary of James and Joseph, with the Mary Magdalene and, the, and Mary the... Um, mother of James and Joseph. You also, the other accounts say that Salome is there. Joanna is there. So there's a group of women. And this is Mary Magdalene whom Jesus delivered, exercised seven demons out of her. And ever since that time when her heart was set free, she has been following Jesus. She loves this man adores and is filled with gratitude to Jesus. So there they are in solemn respect. 
guests wishing to pay their respects, if you will. And then second, they experience the emotion of what I'll call holy terror. Behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. They're out. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. So here they are approaching the grave early in the morning, may still even be dark at this point. And the ground begins to shake under their feet. Now, this is the second earthquake in three days. And sometimes for emphasis or just as a manifestation of his power, for whatever reason, sometimes God shakes the earth when he does things. And we know that when he delivered the law to Moses for his people Israel on that holy mountain, the ground shook. and The people were scared at what was going on there. Nature had something to say for emphasis of the power of God. And we just read when Jesus hung on the cross and when he breathed his last, the ground shook. There was an earthquake and rocks split. And now when Jesus comes out of the grave, the ground shakes again. And we read in Revelation that it will shake yet another time when he comes back as the king to consummate the kingdom. The ground will shake. And so they're experiencing This earthquake, they don't understand really what's going on. But here is the ground shaking again under the power of God. And yet, what kind of power? Exactly why is the ground shaking? Well, we get the impression from Matthew's gospel that the ground shakes because God sends one of his messengers, an angel, from heaven to earth to roll the stone away. And according to Matthew, it's when the angel comes that shakes the ground. Now, in my imagination, what I like to picture in regards to the resurrection is that Jesus, of course, he's still and he's dead. And then all of a sudden, this glorious power of God comes upon him and he stands up and he rips his grave clothes and he punches the stone out of the way and he makes rubble of it. And the power of God and all that makes the ground shake. And I like my version kind of better, but that's not what Scripture says. The angel, this glorious being, a messenger. You know, the angels are just like, can't wait to do whatever God tells them to do. They love the plan of God. They love to serve Him. And He is here, and apparently that is how the ground shakes. Now, also, we don't want to make the mistake to think, well, God had to send the angel down to earth because Jesus was in the tomb... But the problem was the stone was still there and he was raised from the dead, but he had to wait for the angel to come and get him out. So he's just waiting. Okay, God, I got things to do. When are you going to open the door? We don't want to make that mistake. The fact of the matter is, when the stone rolled out of the way, Jesus was already gone, right? Look, he's gone. The stone was rolled away by the angel, not so Jesus could get out of the tomb, poor guy, but so man could get in. So the women could get in and look and see that it's empty. So later Peter and John could run to the tomb and look, see for yourself, it's empty. He's already gone. That's why 
the stone was rolled away. So they have this emotion of holy terror because when they get there and they see the stone is indeed removed and they see this heavenly being who's like lightning, whose clothes are snow white. And we've read this several times in Scripture that that sometimes things that are in the presence of God that close and that powerful take on the, the essence or the Shekinah glory, the, the, the beautiful virtue of from being in the presence of God and just shine. And this angel just came from heaven. And that's what heaven is like. It's filled with the glory of God. And so he still has some heaven about him when he comes. The same thing happened to Moses when he got close to God and God gave the law. And he requested to be in the presence of God. And he was. But his face was so bright that he had to wear a veil. It's the glory of God emanating. And so this angel is a sight to see as the glory of God emanates off his appearance. Clothes like white, of course, symbolizing holiness and purity. And it's a glorious sight, but it's a frightening sight. Especially if you came there to minister to this dead body and the stones rolled away. And here's a heavenly being shining like lightning bolts on top of this stone. Just as a side note, when you read John's account in chapter 20, Mary Magdalene gets there, sees that the stone is rolled away, sees that the body's gone, and that's all that registers, and she takes off before any further explanation. And she has already concluded, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't good. He's gone. They've taken his body. So she didn't hang around long enough to get the explanation that these other ladies do. But she's the one that's going to go talk to um, Peter and John. Her concern is, I came to see him perhaps for the last time. To minister to him perhaps for the last time and he's gone. Where's his body? That's her perspective. But the other ladies, they were still there. And the angel had a message for them. They're in holy terror. And what is his word? Don't be afraid. How many times does God say that to us? Don't be afraid. I mean, fear is a big problem in our weak flesh, in our humanity. Don't be afraid. I know you don't, it's hard to take all of this in. By the way, he didn't rebuke them for their lack of faith. So why weren't you here? Jesus said countless times that he would rise. Why are you here to anoint a dead body? What's wrong with this picture? He says, don't be afraid. There is good news. Jesus has risen and you will see him again. So there's God just rushing right in and comforting the fears and the insecurities of his people. I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. But he's not here. He is risen. Verse 5. Come, he says. Look. See where he lay. And here's where we find yet another fascinating picture. Because when they stoop down to go into this sepulcher, they see the linens that Jesus was wrapped in. 
And it's nothing like my imagination where Jesus jumps up. He's full of life now. He rips his grave clothes off and he just throws them out of the way. And they're scattered all throughout the tomb, all the way going down the trail. They're neatly in place. Even the, the shroud or the headcloth is neatly where it should be. And so they're fascinated that, I mean, how can you get out of the clothes and yet it looks like they're just empty there? So even James and John, when they look at that, they're like, well, how could this be? So you say, well, wait a minute. If, the clo- if he didn't even have to unravel and get himself out, how did this happen? How did he even get out of the tomb to begin with? If he was gone before the stone was rolled away, I don't know for sure, but I have a sneaky suspicion. And we read later when the Jesus is risen and the disciples are in a room in Jerusalem. And they're meeting there. And who walks in? Jesus. But he doesn't use the door. He just walks through the walls. And so he's on the outside of the wall one second and the next second he walks through the wall in his glorified body and there he is. Now, that, that'll cause you to scratch your head. I'm just going to guess that just th- this glorified body that just can just materialize whatever it is, he just materialized into life and came through the linens. And they're just there like they were never moved. And then he just walks right through the stone. It's a fascinating thing. It just adds to the veracity of the fact that you, you can't make this stuff up when he comes to the resurrection. It's scripture fulfilled after scripture fulfilled. He's not here. Do not be afraid. He has risen as he said he has risen. The angel brings comfort. And then John MacArthur says, fascination has to give way to proclamation. So here's what the angel says. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. And you will see him. See, I have told you this. The fascination turns into proclamation. So the angel, nothing was said. They're they're looking in the grave. How do you make sense of this? And so the angel just speaks. Here's what's going on. I know you're probably your head spinning. How could this happen? Here's what's going on. He fulfilled his promise. And now what I want you to do, there's still work to be done. I want you to go and tell the disciples what you have seen. That he is risen. Proclaim the good news. Fascination gave way to proclamation. Christ is alive. It's the women, you see. It's the women that heard the good news first. It's the women that saw the empty tomb first. You know, the other disciples, they're still back in the rooms and wherever they are, they're still in the grieving process. But because the women came to minister to him, they get to see and hear this first. Because they were on their way to minister to Christ. Matter of fact, when they're on their way to proclaim the good news to the disciples, who shows up before they get to Galilee? But the risen Lord. They meet him on the way. Not only do they want to see him, he wants to see them. And he gives the same message as the angel. Don't be afraid. It's me. I'm risen from the dead. Go and tell 
And he says, my brothers, go and tell my brothers that I have risen from the dead. Hebrews says, I'm not ashamed to call them my brothers. The kingdom of God. God is an awesome God. The greatest event in history. And it was witnessed and, and testified to this group of women. And a lot of scholars go all over the place of why would it be in God's plan that these women would be the first to hear it and these women would be the first to see the resurrected Christ. And there's all these speculations and I don't know which one of them is true or false, but if you just take it at face value, why were those the one, they why were they the ones that were privy to it first? Well, I think it's because they were seeking him. They were just there to minister to him. That's it. They, they had a mission in their mind. I, w- I want to love him. I want to respect him. I want to be near him. And if he's in a tomb, then I'm going to be on the other side of that tomb. Whatever it takes to be near Jesus because their hearts loved him. They were seeking him. That's what the angel said. I know you seek Jesus. And because they were seeking him, they found him. It wasn't because they believed in the resurrection. It's because they were seeking him. They didn't have it all figured out. But they were there and God showed up for them. And it reminds me of what Jesus said way back in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. you just, they just kept coming to Jesus and coming to Jesus. Even after he, he was dead, they were coming to Jesus and coming to Jesus and seeking him in any form that they could get him. Show up and God will show up. And that's what we need to do as His church. We need to be obedient and faithful and just keep seeking. And no matter what's going on in this world, no matter how decadent our culture, no matter what other churches do, no matter what other Christians do, we just need to keep coming to God and keep coming to God and keep seeking Jesus and casting our anxieties upon Him because He cares for you, as we learned in Sunday school this morning. We just keep coming and keep coming and bring our hearts there. We don't have all the answers. We don't have it all figured out. Sometimes we don't have the faith we need. Keep coming to Jesus. He shows up. He gets us there. He walks us through the kingdom into heaven. So this brings us to our third emotion, and that is the emotion of joy. So they didn't stay in that holy terror for too long. They experienced joy. So they departed quickly, verse 8, from the tomb with fear and great joy. See, now it's starting to register. You know, sometimes news doesn't, doesn't, calculate, you know, it doesn't hit home quickly. It takes a little while to process it. They are starting to process what they just witnessed. Jesus is alive. I'm going to see him again. I can minister to him again. I can hear his voice again. And it's all starting to come to them. And the hope and the light has shined into the darkness. And they are getting pumped. They're excited about this. And so that terror has, is now it's mixed with joy. Kind of like when you you almost forget about your birthday. Oh yeah, my birthday is tomorrow. That, it's just that excitement of something really, really good. Overjoyed with the prospects of the living Christ. It's only fair to say that the disciples, the guys are still back in their huddle and they're still grieving. They still know what's going on and they don't believe. They weren't there. They weren't there waiting to have a party. Blow their horns for when Jesus walked out of that grave either. 
Their lives have been turned upside down. What do we do? He's gone. Didn't see that coming. What do we do with this mission? What do we do with what he's commissioned us to do? So, just to recap, the the disciples are still in grief. They don't know. The women are overjoyed at what they've heard. The guards, they're still out cold at the grave. The Jewish leaders, they think Jesus was a thing of the past. They got everything covered. They shouldn't have to hear about him again. If I ever play a part in an Easter play, I want it to be those two soldiers. I want to be one of those two soldiers. Because at the very beginning, I get to just look shocked, hit the ground, and lay there the rest of the play while you do all the work. Mary Magdalene went. She told the news to John and Peter. Did they believe? If you read the different accounts, when they're even told, Jesus is risen. I don't think so. So John and Peter run to the tomb. Now, John, this is in Gospel Gospel John. John wrote the Gospel John. And so he's kind of points certain things out. Who got there first? John. Who's John? He's the disciple whom Jesus loved. So anyway, John kind of stops almost like it's, should I even go in? I mean, this is. Kind of like a holy moment. What's Peter do? Blows right by him, goes in the tomb, and he sees the grave close as well. And as the angel ministered to them, John, it, it, the light goes off in John's heart, and he says of himself, I remembered, and then I believed in the resurrection. So he tells on himself. By the way, Peter and John, they take off. There's only one person left now at the tomb after all this. And it's Mary Magdalene. She is still just like not sure what to do. She is still grieving. Her head is spinning. She was so desperate for Christ. The idea that she may never get to see him or or touch him again, it's too much for her. And she's kind of clueless. She's The the thought is that she's just crying so much, she doesn't even see what's happening. And Jesus comes and speaks to her. She thinks it's the gardener. And you think, how? How could... Well, if if you're in that kind of grief, I mean, I'm just guessing maybe her eyes were all puffy and so forth, and it's hard to see through tears. I don't, I don't understand it. It could also be that Jesus' appearance was different and that there were some disciples that didn't recognize him, period, like the two on the road to Emmaus, until he opened their eyes. So some of that might be going on, too. But the other ladies, when he appeared to him on the way, the disciples, they recognized him. But she's there. And then Jesus comes to her and says the same message as the angels. She still doesn't get it until he says her name, Mary. And she hears that. And she's all of a sudden wakes up. Only one person can say my name with that voice and in that tone. And it's Jesus. And her eyes are open and she sees him. And she calls him Rabbani, which is a higher um, way to honor a master or a teacher. It's a step above just calling them Rabbi. Her heart is so excited and overjoyed to see 
Jesus, the man that she had put her life into, her faith into. And here he is alive in front of her. You've got to love this stuff. The way that Jesus affects hearts, the way that he affects our emotions, the way that he tugs us in the right direction to love the right things, to be desperate for the right things. It's all right here as we see these women worshipers apply their faith in Christ. And so we see joy. And then lastly, the emotional attitude of worship. This is the ladies, not Mary Magdalene, she's already gone, but the rest of the ladies, verse 8, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, ran to tell his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And that's a very informal, just almost like, good morning, what's up, how are you doing kind of greeting, like very nonchalant, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. So they left the tomb with feelings of terror mixed with joy. They're on their way to tell the disciples this news and Jesus pays them a visit. And what do they do? Immediately, they cling to him. They fall at his feet and cling to him. They And That's not just clinging, it's a worship kind of clinging. And it's if to say, I've missed you. I I know what my life, I experienced for a short time, what my life is like without you. And I don't ever want to experience that again. You're not leaving me again kind of worship. I just have to be here. And if it means being on my face or being on my knees or just getting to grab your ankles or your feet, if that's what it looks like, that's okay because this is way better than anything else without you in it. That is worship in spirit and truth. They didn't even have it all figured out. They didn't even come with this great robust faith. They just were seeking Jesus. And now... They're worshiping Jesus. And it makes me think if we ought to add to our worship vocabulary this idea of clinging. When we worship, is it also clinging, which means holding fast? And we do come with the attitude of God. You are the one and only true God. There is nothing else out there like you. And since you have enlightened my mind to know you and offered me a place at the table that's undeserved, I'm just going to grab on to you and never let you go. Kind of worshipful attitude. Part of worship is clinging. In love, in adoration, in desperation. It's a part of what disciples do. And so we see the emotional attitudes unfold in Matthew's account of the resurrection. We see the solemn respect. We need to have solemn respect. We see the holy terror. And as disciples, we need a holy terror of the things of heaven and the glory of God. They experience joy. The good news is still good. Jesus is still changing the world. He's still changing my heart. He's still changing your heart. There is always hope and He's coming back. 
And so there's always reason, no matter what we're experiencing, to be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord. But then there's that worship. That attitude of worship. Where are our hearts this morning? Who is Jesus to us this morning? What have we turned Him into? Is He the honorable, majestic, holy God that He paints Himself, that He reveals Himself to us? Is He the kind of God that once we have, we don't ever want to let go because we've been there without Him and we know what it's like and it stinks? And once you have tasted and see that He is good, are we clinging to this Christ that we're seeking this morning? These are attitudes of disciples of Christ. Let us emulate these women that love and worship and adore and apply their faith in Christ this morning. May God bless the preaching of His Word.